Hey guys, when we get into another episode of When the Scriptures Become Real, it's going to podcast where we learn, where we study, where we grow, where we try to become the best versions of ourselves as we can, as we continue to serve our Lord. Again, you guys can find the podcast on YouTube. Please subscribe here, and you can also find it anywhere you can get your podcast. We're just so thankful that you guys are here and that you guys are with us today. So we are extremely thankful to be back. Hopefully everybody enjoyed their holiday. We're, we're excited to be back with the podcast with you guys. We've missed you guys. And we're glad to be back here uh, recording. So we're going to start a new series today. And with this series, this is kind of like our Ruth and Boaz one that we did. Remember, that was a six-part series with that we did. And if you haven't listened to that, please go back and check that out. The, the comments, the, the questions, the interaction was incredible throughout that series. It was, it was, it was so great. And there was so much anticipation for the next one. So I'm hoping we can, we can rebuild that here with the Jonathan series. So the reason why I want to do this Jonathan series is number one, he's, he's my, one of my favorite, uh, people in scripture. He's just by the things that he went through and the things that he did for David and even for his father, it's almost unmatched. It's incredible. The things that he does. And as we go through this, Here's, here's some things that you guys are going to see, right, as we kind of conversate together. We're going to see a level of, of courage here. We're going to see as we journey together through Jonathan, through Jonathan's life, we're going to see a life of adversity. We're going to see a life of triumph. We're also going to see a life of, of almost kind of you're learning to grow with God, but at the same time, there's so much going on that you have to make these decisions, these really tough decisions in real time. And you're going to see a journey of choices too. And so the, the reason why I want to do this as well is because what this is going to do as we, as we look at this together and as we study and conversate and journey through this together, for me at least, I can, and I can only be honest with myself, and I hope you want to do this too, this for me has redefined two things. This is redefined number one, who a friend is. It's redefined it. It's what it's a thousand percent redefined what a friend is. What a biblical friend is, it's redefined it. But then number two, what this has done, this is also redefined what I should be doing and ways that I should have been better. So I, I want you guys to think. This is not, coming into this study, this is not something that I've got this figured out. I've, I've always gotten it down. I'm, I'm working at this, and each part of this series, I don't have the other five parts ready to go. I'm literally each week looking at this in real time with you, and I'm looking at this, and I'm examining, and I'm checking this out for myself, and then on Mondays, we're ready to go. So, this is how I'm going to approach this. And this is not coming from a place of I've got this. Um, I've always done this correctly. It's not. It's coming from a place of I'm trying to figure this out. I'm looking at Jonathan Jonathan's example that God gave us. And there's something to build on here. There's something to build on. So, man, I, I hope that as we go through this journey together with Jonathan, that this journey will there'll be there'll be highs on this journey. There will be lows on this journey. There will be moments of confusion. There will be moments of darkness. There will be moments of making some of the toughest decisions that you will ever have to make. And Jonathan had to make some, in my opinion, outside of Jesus submitting to the will of God, I believe Jonathan had to make two of the toughest decisions in the Bible. I think it just, 
because of the situation and the wedge that he was put in between, he had to think so far ahead and he had to put himself, Philippians chapter two, he had to make himself a servant to so many others. It it is it has changed my view on Jonathan. It, it is I don't even want to say it changed it, it enhanced it to see some different things. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna call this one, we're gonna call the series of friend like Jonathan, but part one, we're gonna entitle this the prelude. Part one, the prelude. And the reason why we're calling it this is it's almost like when you're watching a series of movies or a, a TV show series. Sometimes in order to understand the main timeline of what's going on, there has to be some prequel stuff so you can see where we are in the main timeline. So before we even get to Jonathan, we have to take this part or this episode and we have to look at Saul. Now we'll get to Jonathan a little bit, but we have to look at Saul and we have to look at where the problem was rooted. And so as we start this, I want you guys to think about this for a minute. Every single problem that David had, every single problem Jonathan had, and every single problem the people of Israel had was because of one man's fear. It was because of one man's fear, and that man was Saul. Sometimes when you, when you deal with a problem, you have to start at the root of that problem. Why was, why was Saul running from David? Why did Saul hate Jonathan? Why was Saul, what, what, how come Saul and, and David, how come Jonathan and David couldn't be friends? Why did Saul dislike him? Why was he always chasing after him? We got to start at the root of it. And when we start at the root of it, you really look at Saul and you see what type of mindset that he had coming into the kingship. It was different. But you begin to see the root of Saul's problem was fear. That was his root. Now, before we hop into scripture here, again, another disclaimer. When I talk about fear, this has been a humbling study for me because, again, I'm not coming from a place of I've always got this right or I'm getting it right now. There's been moments where, like Saul, I was fearful. And I'm sure there's moments where you've been fearful. There's times where you don't make the right decision or or you you do this decision based off of pressure or based off this or based off that, right? So I had to look at this honestly. And moving forward, before we jump into our first verse of our prelude, one thing that I ask you to do as I'm doing as we look at this in real time, I ask it, this study of Jonathan, I promise you, this study of Jonathan and looking at everything that encompasses his story, it will be of no effect to us if we do not look at this honestly. It will be of no effect. So anytime we look at someone, we got to be honest. We got to be honest with ourselves, okay? So let's let's do this. So before we get to this, I want to look at what did God always want his relationship with him and his people to be? But what did God want his relationship with him and his king to be with him? So Let's look at this. Let's look at, uh, man, there's so many. Um, let's look at Jeremiah 32 first. Jeremiah chapter 32. And this in Jeremiah, it gives us a glimpse of what the relationship between God and his people should have been, right? Now, obviously, this is during the prophet time, right? This is, this is past 1 Samuel, but this gives us an image 
of what God's relationship with his people should have been. Jeremiah 32, beginning in verse 32. Because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger, they, notice what it says, notice the text, they, their kings, who is Saul, Saul is going to be the king, their kings, their princes, their priests, their prophets, and the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they have turned to me the back. They've turned their backs to me and not the face. Though I taught them, I rose up early teaching them, yet they have not listened to my instruction. They have set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name to defile it. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom to cause their sons and daughters to pass through the fire of Molech. They had gotten to such a point where because of the influence of all these people, the princes, the kings, the priests, and even their own minds, now they're thinking sacrificing to Baal, sacrificing their children to Baal was correct. This is right. But then jump to verse 37. Behold, I will gather them out of the countries which I've driven them in my anger and in my fury and in my great wrath, and I will bring them back to this place, and I will cause them to dwell in safety. Now, really quick, just so you can understand, so we can build this story, when you think about Jonathan, when you think about Saul, when you think about us, there is always undertones from God. God is always a God of mercy. He is always a God of of grace. He is always a God of understanding. But he needs us to realize when we haven't done things correctly in order for him to really express the things that he can give to us, okay? So then watch verse 38. This is this is how things should be. They will be my people and I will be their God. Verse 39. I will give them one heart and one way, and watch our word now, and they will fear. But who will they fear? What does the text say, guys? They will fear me forever. I want you to keep that in mind. If you're taking notes, if you're sitting here studying, if you're listening, I want you to really take these key words in. They will fear me forever. Okay. Now remember, what did we say before we can understand Jonathan and David, before we can understand David, before we can understand David and Goliath, before we can understand Saul chasing David, before we can understand all those things, what's the root of the problem? What gets this giant snowball of Saul started? What gets this started? And then therefore, what causes all of these problems moving forward before we even get to Jonathan? What's the problem? The fear of one man. Now, how was, how was fear intended to be? It says, I will give them one heart and I will give them one way that they may fear me forever. Now, when we talk about fear of God, it's a reverential fear, understanding that all good things, um, his everything about God, we need to worship him. Right, it's it's all about a reverent fear and understanding who God is. But they'll fear me. They'll fear me. Okay, here's another example. 
Look at um, look at First Samuel fifteen. First Samuel fifteen. Watch. We got to take our time, guys, and that's that's what you'll understand about Bible study. You got to take your time to let the Bible build its own its own picture because it paints the picture more perfectly than any of us could paint it on our own. First Samuel fifteen twenty four. Now we see the image in Jeremiah, right? Watch this. First Samuel fifteen twenty four. Now we're gonna get to this later, but I want to reference this. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. Why, Saul? Why did you do that? Because I feared. What did Jeremiah say? God said, fear me. What did Saul say? Saul says, I couldn't do or I didn't do the commandments of you who I should fear because who did I actually fear more? Saul said, I feared the people. So when we talk about the root of the problem, the root of everyone's problem, beginning in 1 Samuel 8, where we're about to go, all the way through 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, all throughout what were Saul, David, Jonathan, all throughout their lives, all these problems started because of one man's fear. But not one man's fear of God. It started because of one man's fear of the people. I'm afraid. And because I'm afraid, as we're going to see as we journey together, because I'm afraid, it's going to cause me to make decisions quicker than I should have. It's going to cause me not to make decisions, just to stand still and do nothing because I'm afraid of people's reactions towards those decisions. Then it's going to cause me to hate people that I should be loving because I'm, I'm fearful. Then it's going to cause me to chase someone all throughout the land of Israel for years because I fear. All of these problems are happening because of one man's fear. And we're going to take our time to build this picture of Saul's fear beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 8. That's where we begin, okay? Let's go. Let's, let's begin. All right. So now we're in this. Now we're in this. 1 Samuel chapter 8. So now, up to this point, you have to remember, all throughout the book of Judges, after Moses, then Moses, there was Joshua. After Joshua, um, there, was no, there, was, there was no leader. No one knew the Lord. So now, as we understand this, we have to understand what's going on here. So at this time, there needed to be judges over the people after Joshua dies at the end of Joshua chapter 24. Okay. So now as we look at this a little bit more, now we begin to see something developing all throughout the Old Testament. Okay. So now let's look at this. I want you guys to look at, uh, look at Judges chapter two, just so you can get this picture. Judges chapter 2, beginning in uh, verse 6. This is this paints the picture for you. So you have Exodus, then you have Moses leaving. You have them wandering in the wilderness. Then Moses dies. Then after Moses dies, now you have Joshua. Now this is where we are. Verse 6 of Judges chapter 2. Now when Joshua had dismissed the people and the children of Israel, each went his own way to his inheritance to possess the land that they were promised, right, coming out of Egypt, watch what happens in verse 7. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. 
who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. So the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. Now, when Joshua, the son of Nun, verse eight, the servant of the Lord, when he was 110 years old, he died. And they buried him within the border of the inheritance of Tidmathiris and the mountain of Ephraim on the north side of the Mount Gaish. Now watch verse 10. When all of that generation had been gathered to their fathers, so everyone's gone, another generation arose who did not know the Lord, neither did they know the work that he had done for Israel. So I want you to think about this now. What did we just say in Jeremiah 32? What did the scripture say? I will give them one heart and they will fear me. Here's my question. How can you fear God when you don't know who he is? So now you have a literal generation of people who do not fear God. Therefore, all the book of Judges is God sending them a different judge to help them through different problems and issues. Now we find ourselves in 1 Samuel 8. All the nations around have a king, but what does Israel have now that they're learning to fear the Lord with different judges now? What does the nation of Israel want that every other nation wants? We want a king just like everybody else. We want a king because all the other nations, they have somebody in power. That's what we deserve. Watch what happens, verse 1. Now, it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons. Again, here's contextually what we're building. What did he make his sons according to verse 1? He made them judges. Ah, uh, You see what I'm talking about? So now the sons were judges. As we mentioned, that's why the book of Judges was there. He made them judges over Israel. The name of the firstborn, Joel, the name of the second, Abijah, they were judges in Beersheba. But his sons, verse 3, here we go. What's our word now as we're looking at our prelude? It's fear. But his sons did not walk in his ways. Talking about Samuel, who feared God, but did the judges under Samuel fear God, which were his own sons? No. You see what's building here, guys? I, I, I want you to take... Take your time to look and see how the Bible is literally building this picture and foundation and idea for us. The root of this problem was fear was not instilled in the right place. That's the root of the problem. The root of the problem showing itself. Verse 3, his son didn't walk in his ways, and what did they do? They turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes, and they perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel at Ramah and said, verse 5, Look, you are old, number one, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So what did Samuel do? Samuel prayed to the Lord. But verse 7, watch this. But the Lord said to Samuel, listen to them, heed their voice. Heed the voice of all the people and all that they say to you. Watch this. Now, why did God say this? Remember, going all the way back to our springboard, springboard verse in, in Jeremiah chapter 32, I will give them one heart that they may fear me, right? 
Why are you listening to them, Samuel? Why do I want you to listen to them based off everything I've done for them from Exodus all the way to here in 1 Samuel chapter 8? Listen to the voice of the people, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. So let's put two and two together. If they've rejected me, what does it mean that they haven't done or they've stopped doing? Fearing God. They've stopped. You see why this is important? All of these future problems that's going to happen within the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years from 1 Samuel chapter 8, it starts because of a nation's fear. But then the problems of David, Jonathan moving forward, it starts because of one man's fear too. Do you guys see why it's important for us as we build our faith together, as we're journeying through this through this account of Jonathan? As we build our faith together and as we work together and as we grow together and as we're studying scripture together, we have to have a fear of God. But what did Saul say later on? We're going to look at this, but just to give you a prelude, what did Saul say in 1 Samuel chapter 20, or 1 Samuel chapter 15? Saul said, I fear the people. We have to fear God. We have to fear God. That's the beginning of our faith beginning to build, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So it, this is why this is so important. And, and again, I want you guys to take this as I'm trying to take it for myself. Obviously, I, I understand you've, you've heard of these verses, the fear of the Lord is speaking of knowledge, and you can regurgitate it, and you can sing the verse, and you can quote the verse, and you can have the verse written on your wall, and then you can have the verse written, you know, Joshua chapter 24, verse 13, or Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, you know, as for me and my house, we will fear the Lord, right? We will serve the Lord. So we can understand all these with our head knowledge, but really take the time to understand the concept. Do we understand the concept of fearing the Lord? This is why, no pun intended, this is why when the scriptures become real, now Saul is in situations where he must fear the Lord, but he fears but he fears the wrong things. And again, moving forward, as, as you and I study, and as I've mentioned before, I'm not coming from a place of, well, I've got this, so therefore you guys shouldn't fear. Like there's times where I still fear. So I'm looking at this honestly in real time with you too, right? This is this is a this was a tough study, and this is still a tough study, and it will be a tough study moving forward, honestly. But as we look at this, notice how the Bible took its time from Jeremiah to uh, to 1 Samuel, to 1 Samuel 8, to 1 Samuel 15, to Joshua 24, to Judges chapter 2. Notice how everything built this idea of the nation stopped fearing, therefore the nation is begging for something, and now they choose a man who ultimately, as we look at this, does not and will not fear God the right way. This is the importance of taking our time to build this together. So let's keep going. So that's verse seven. Then verse eight, watch what he says of first Samuel chapter eight. According to all the works, what they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, doesn't that fit contextually of what we've been studying up to this point? 
even to this day right now, which they have forsaken me. Isn't it interesting? Jeremiah 2, I want them to fear me, but rather they have forsaken. So they forsaken me and they've served other gods. So they are doing to you too. Now, therefore, this is the second time he says this. Again, take notes if you're circling, highlight, journalists as we study this together. Verse 7 said, listen to them. Verse 9, God says a second time, listen to them. Here's what's scary about this as we're moving forward on this. Does God want us to fear him? Yes. But will he force you to do it? No. If there's other things and if there's other situations or things that you want, God will allow it. He will allow it because our God is not a God of making us robots and taking away our free will. If we want to live a certain way, if we want to do certain things, if we don't want to do certain things, yes, the Lord is not pleased with it, but he will not stop you. Take heed. Listen to them. Give them what they want. You know, even even looking back at the book of Romans, God gave them up. It means God let them do what they wanted to do. And interestingly enough, and we're going to see this in a second, God letting us do what we want to do and not forcing us and being a dictator to make us do what he wants us to do. That's actually the love and the mercy of God being extended because he wants you to choose it. This is not forceful. God wants you to choose it. Now, what will God do? God will always warn. He will always warn. And this is what's going to happen. So notice this. Verse 9, therefore, heed heed their voice. You will solemnly forewarn them. There it is again. You see where this is going? You will solemnly forewarn them, and you will show them the behavior of what their king will be. You're going to show them. So if we're going to point this out just so maybe organizationally, all this stuff up to this point has been basically intro stuff, which is the fun part of studying about this, like learning to paint this picture. But all of this is underneath our first kind of subheading here if you if you want to point this for those that are organizational here's the demand right the prelude to jonathan starts with saul and starts with the people here's the demand it's happening now how many times did god say listen to them twice but god is so merciful that god says look i don't want you to just listen to them and i'm just not going to do anything about it i'm just going to walk off and let them do what they want to do i think that's an aspect of god that we don't give him enough credit for number one But then number two, I think that's an aspect of God that we don't have. Now, remember, what is our title of our whole series? A friend like Jonathan. So if we're learning about this, how is God a friend to Jordan? How is God a friend to you? He's a friend in this way. God will heed what you want to do. If this is okay. If you want to live like that, fine. If you want to, okay. But God will not leave us. God will warn us. He will warn us multiple times in multiple ways. 
So God doesn't just, all right, fine, do what you want to do. And and if you decide to come back, I hope you come back begging because I warned you. I hope you come back in, in such a humble manner. Now, should we come back in a humble manner to God and to others? Absolutely. But God doesn't hold it over us like we hold it over each other. Oh, now look who shows up again. Oh, look who's texting me now. Oh, look who wants to be friends now. Oh, look who wants to talk now. Oh, look who wants to show up in your life now. You see how bogus we do each other? If we want to be a friend like Jonathan, where's Jonathan learning his friendship from? Eventually, you'll see Jonathan's learning his friendship qualities from God. So God is still being a friend to Israel even when they have forsaken and not feared him. Isn't that interesting? You see how friendship is different? This is not a feeling. Like, I'm not your friend because I feel this. Like, I'm a friend because this is the qualities of God. This is this is a different level of friendship that we should have, okay? So now watch this. This is what the king's going to do now. Verse 11, this will be his behavior. Notice God said this might happen. God said this will be this. It's just, this is going to happen. This will be his behavior, verse 11, of the king that will reign over you. He's going to take your sons, and he's going to appoint them for his own chariots and to his own horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties, and will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make the weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He'll take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, bakers. He'll take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his servants. He'll give a tenth of your grain and your vintage, and he'll give it to the officers and servants. He will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys, and he will put them to work, and he will take a tenth of his sheep, and you will be his servants, and you will cry. You will cry in verse 18 in that day because your king who you chose for yourself and the Lord will not hear you that day. I want you to take notes here. As we read verses 10 to 18, I want you to circle and highlight every single time or underline this as we go through this together. Every time you see the phrase, he will take. Isn't it interesting that as you look at God and his friendship towards Israel and his friendship towards us as individuals, isn't it interesting that God in his mercy and his grace, he's always from the beginning, he was always willing to give something. I will give you life. I will give you a help meet. I will give you a Ezra Konegdo, a warrior with you, Eve. I will bless you with a blessing, Abraham, Genesis 12. I will give you descendants. I will give you a land full of milk and honey. I will give and I will give and I will give and I will give. But notice, what is this king going to do? Look at how God, the, 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 the God and the friend, who was always willing to give something to you, what did God say that the king is going to do? He's not going to do the giving that I would do. He's going to be taken, and he will take, and he will take, and he will take, and he will take, and he will take. Just a quick side note as we as we walk through this, this study together, we got to take our little side mentions and side notes here. When you talk about another quality 
of a friend, biblical friend, right? We're talking about this context now. The giving factor, just to be honest with you guys, the giving factor is something that I think we underestimate. And I think we underestimate it as the friend of those that's always giving. And we underestimate it as the giver. So here's what I mean. If you are a giver, you underestimate it because in your mind, well, if I keep doing this, if I keep giving and I give of my heart and I give of my time and I give of my tears and I give of my prayers and I sacrifice for them and I do this and do that and do that. And if I keep giving and giving and giving and giving, then we have a mindset of if we do that, well, no one's giving anything to me. You see, now what we're doing, and again, I understand that that mode of thinking. I get that. But what we're doing, we're, we're not remembering the character and the promise of God. So his character is God always gives. So if God always gives, remember what David says later on, I've never seen a child of God lacking bread. Never seen it. His promises, he's not slack concerning his promises, as we count slackness, right? So we can't put two and two together. Well, if I just keep giving, nobody's going to do anything for me, so therefore I'm just going to stop giving because people don't appreciate it. I never really get anything for it, so I'm going to stop. See, that's the misconception of the giver. But then if you're if you're the friend, if you're the other party that's always taking what someone else has to give, then that's not fair on their part because, well, what are, are why are you not giving of yourself to others as well? So you see the character of God being a friend all throughout from Genesis all the way to 1 Samuel 8. We could probably go back and look at all the times God said that, and that might be a cool side study for you to look at this week for next week. How many times God said from the beginning, I'm willing to give, I will give, and I will give. But it's interesting that God uses this language from verses 10 to 18. He will take. He will take. Another quick side note before we get into verse 19. If you're new to the podcast and new to the podcast family here, we take a lot of side missions and side notes because I don't want we don't want to miss these golden nuggets here throughout the text. Here's another golden nugget here. When we talk about service, right, when we talk about service to the church, when we talk about service to others, when we talk about service to 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 those that to someone that you're married to, all of this has always been and it always will be about what are you willing to give. And I think what we do sometimes in our relationships, in our church life, in our life with family, and even in our life with others. I don't think we're concerned enough. And again, I'm saying this from my perspective too. I don't think we're concerned enough with how much can I give. I think even if we don't say it verbally, I think sometimes there's quiet undertones of what am I going to get out of this though? Now, does it mean that you shouldn't get things? No, I'm not saying that. But I think sometimes our motivation, sometimes there's silent undertones of what can I get though? What can I get out of this? The, you know, it takes, 
I'm learning this too. It takes um, it takes some faith, it, not some faith. It it takes faith to live a life of a giver. Now, what's interesting is, let this mind, Philippians chapter two verse five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So if he gave. John 3, 16, right? God's will of the world that he gave. Again, there it is, God giving, right? He gave his best to us, but we took it. That, that's a whole other application. But the more we think about this, the more life, the more life you live, the more you understand everything is about you giving. And it's, it's trust in giving, but it's also trust in knowing that God's going to take care of you, knowing that you have his heart. I think that's that's one thing that I want to that I personally over the last couple of years I've been trying more to understand the heart of Jesus. It's very 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 important the things that he said, right? The doctrine that he preached. But you can know all the doctrine that he preached and you could still miss his heart, which is which is insanely scary to me. We can know all the doctrine that he teaches. But we still miss his heart. Well, Jordan, I don't think that's possible. How can we know all the doctrine but not miss his heart? Well, in Revelation chapter two, last time I read my Bible, Revelation two. Those words are in red, which means Jesus is talking. And Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, I know your doctrine. I know all the things that you've been teaching. I know if a false prophet comes in, you're the first one to say something about it. But nevertheless, he says, you left something. He said, you lost your first, you left your first love. You left it. So these things are coupled together. They're coupled together. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing when we couple it together correctly, right? When we couple it together correctly and with humility and with understanding, okay? Now let's keep going. Just wanted to give that side note. 19, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, we will have a king over us that we may also be like all the other nations so that our king is going to do three things for us. He'll judge us, number one. He'll go out before us, number two. And he will fight our battles, number three. Here's my question. He will judge us. He will go out before us. And he will fight our battles. Everything up to this point when they left Egypt, who had been doing those three things before? God. But notice, notice how big of a slap in the face this is to God. We want someone else who's been doing all the three things that you're providing, but we think someone else can do it better, right? So just think about that, right? It doesn't, that doesn't compute. Well, wait a second. How am I, how am I not enough? This is almost kind of like a, it's not you, it's me situation. So I, I kind of like this better. You know, that's, that's, it's kind of a backhanded slap, right? So it's like, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense, right? I've done these things, but someone else is doing these things, right? So now verse 21. So Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them. Isn't that interesting? God doesn't just leave them hanging. 
verses 10 to 21, he said that twice. Don't don't let that don't let that sneak you there from verse 21. He said it twice. Right? He said everything from verses he, he's going to do this. He's going to take, he's going to take. He repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel a third time verse 22. Listen to them. Listen to their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to your city. You have the demand. This is this is the demand of what's going on. This is what we want. This is what we want. Okay. God said to Samuel, listen to them three times. Listen to them. Now we have Saul, right? Chapter nine, Saul is chosen. So now as we look at Saul a little bit more, Notice chapter 9, he was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeor, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he who among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than all of the people, right? So now we get a we get a first image of Saul here, right? We get... We get Saul, he's a handsome man, he's he's a tall man, he's choice. Um, all this stuff that we see from chapter 2, we get the image of who he is, right? So we're beginning to learn a little bit more about Saul. Now, there's a small issue here as we keep going in chapter 9. There's a problem. So the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, they were lost. So he says, please take one of the servants with you. Arise and go look for those lost donkeys, right? Go look. And he passed through the mountains, through the land of uh, of Shalisha, and they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalim, and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, and he still couldn't find them. And when they come to the land of Zuaf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Let us return, lest my father cease worrying about the donkeys, and then now he's worried about us. So he's, look, man, we look for these donkeys all day. Let's just go back, right? Let, let's go back before, before my father starts worrying about us. And then he said to him, the servant, look now. There is in this city a man of God, and he's honorable, and all that he says comes to pass. So let's go there, and perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. Oh, so Saul, wait, before we go back, there's a, there's a prophet talking about Samuel here. Everything that he says is right. Let, let's go to Samuel. Maybe he knows, right? Maybe he knows. Then Saul said, verse seven, look, if we go, what will we bring this man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone and there's no present to bring the man of God. So what do we have now at this time when you would present yourself to the prophet, sometimes you would bring a, you would bring a gift to them, right? You would bring, you would bring money to them or you would bring bread or food. So remember with, you can look in first and second Kings, you can look at Elijah, you can look at Elisha. Sometimes they would go and they would give coins. They would give bread. They would give food. They would give a place to stay. So they would give something to the prophet, right? So now verse eight, and the servant said to Saul, look, I have here one hand, one fourth of a shekel of silver. There's your coin. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, verse nine, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, come, let us go to the seer. For he who is now called a prophet 
was formerly known as a seer, right? So now it's giving us some more context here. So now look at look at what's being painted here. Saul is described, then Saul's father loses three donkeys. They're looking all over for these donkeys. Where, where are they at? Saul's servant says, look, we need to go to Samuel. If we go to Samuel, he's going to have the answer. Now, isn't it interesting as we look at this, notice verse 15. So notice how the Lord is working through this, okay? So these donkeys, they're lost, and Saul's looking for them everywhere. That's Saul's side of the problem. But now notice Samuel's side, verse 15. Now notice the last time we saw Samuel, he was warning the people in 1 Samuel chapter 8, right? He was warning the people. Now what's happening here? Verse, verse 15. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you will anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I've looked upon my people, for their cry has come to me." <laughs> So, so good. Now, here's what's interesting. If you go back to chapter eight, isn't it interesting that God gave him all that warning? And what did he say at the end of verse 18? He said, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Now, what did God tell Samuel in chapter nine, verse 16? My people, save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I've looked on my people. And what else did God do? Because their cry has come up to me. Now, here's another quality, another quick side mission now. Here's another quality of a good friend. You know, you ever have those friends in life where you've done something wrong? Maybe you've, maybe you've hurt them. Maybe you weren't there for them. Maybe you should have been better, but you just weren't, right? Whatever the case might be. But you ever have those friends where it's almost like, man, I understand you did this, understand you said this, understand this, but man, we're, we're, we're friends. We're friends. Notice how God, and, and this is a, and I know it sounds like a simple, amazing sentiment and amazing concept, but again, I, I'm studying this with you in real time. Guys, this is hard. This is hard. And notice what he's saying. I looked at my people, I've looked among them, and I heard them. You know, even when we hurt God, even when we disappoint him, even when we sin against him, even when we, we are not the people he needs us to be, he said, I still looked on my people. That's a friend. And, and notice, all this is going to, it's leading up to being a friend like Jonathan, all this prelude stuff is showing us God's friendship to Israel and how that's been broken so many times by the people. Eventually, it's going to be broken by Saul, but God still, he's still there. You know, I think that's, that's an important quality, not only as a friend, a giver, right? Just That's just who they are. They, they continue to give of themselves to you and others, but it's... They're always just looking how they can help. You know, and then you ever had that friend where obviously maybe you've, you haven't done things correctly. Maybe, 
<clears throat> maybe you said something wrong or maybe you did something wrong, whatever the case might be, but they still treat you and they're still there for you when you need them. You know, we, we've seen the classic, we've seen the classic sitcom where you have, you have two friends that have always been friends, but then there's a new friend group that pulls one friend away. So then that one friend group doesn't listen to his original friend anymore. Well, these are my new friends now. Right. These 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 friends have always been there for me. These friends love me. These friends are the ones that I want to be with. And then inevitably what happens in the sitcom or the TV show or the movie, those friends, they they dump the the new guy like nothing. And then now the old friend is there waiting for him. And then they say, well, how could you do that? Like, how could you be there for me? when I wasn't there for you? How could you, how could you love me when I wasn't there for you? How could you want to even be associated with me? Even when I did that to you, how could you do that? And then what's the line? Man, we're friends. We're friends. And, And God has always showed that to us and he's given qualities of, and that's what we need to be for others. Man, we're friends. Like I understand we didn't see out our eye on things. I understand Things didn't work out. I understand things were tough. I understand. But we're friends. We're friends. And the Lord said, I looked at, I've, I've looked on them. I know they've said this. I know they've done this. I know they want this king, but I'm still looking. Man, that's different, man. That's, it's beautiful, man. It is, it is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. So now, um, verse 17. So when Samuel saw Saul, The Lord said to him, there he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one will reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel and his gate said, please tell me where's the seer's house. Now, all this is happening. So 19 19 to 27, it's interesting. I want you to see where's that verse at. That's verse, uh, verse 25, I think. No, it's later on. It's in chapter 10. I'm going ahead of myself. But for the rest of the chapter, just for sake of time, when you read the rest of that, obviously he goes to the seer's house. Now Samuel is going to anoint Saul as the king. If you jump down to verse 27, he says, as they were going down on the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go ahead of us. And he went on. But you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of the Lord. So Saul is getting ready to get anointed as king. So all this happens. Now we understand a little bit more about Saul. And now here's our last thing we're going to look at at our prelude before we will jump into part two on Monday. So then chapter 10, verse 1, then Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on his head and kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord has anointed you? commander over his inheritance. Now, quick note, all the way in chapter eight, what was the people's request? The people's request was give us a king like the other nations, right? That was the people's request. Give us a king. We want a king for ourselves. So the people think they're appointing this king. But isn't it interesting that Saul or Samuel gives Saul just a little reminder is it not because the Lord has anointed you over his inheritance? Now, remember, what's our word? What's our theme? Fear. 
the people had forgotten who they who's whose they were. So the Lord said, the Lord has appointed you over his inheritance, which is God's people. Right? So now all this is happening. Now he's anointed king. Now he, he's going to be able to prophesy. Now the spirit of the Lord is upon him. Verse 6. Now, this is interesting. I want you to know this because this is going to matter for next week. Verse 8. So the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Verse 6. You'll prophesy and you'll be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs come to you that you will do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. Now watch verse 8. Take note of this. This is going to matter for next week. You will surely go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. So Samuel says, look, I've anointed you. You're going to have the spirit of God. You'll be able to prophesy, but I'm going to come down to Gilgal and I will do this. Okay, not you. I will. Samuel's talking now. I will give offerings of peace offerings. Then he gives a stipulation on days. Seven days, you will wait. Wait a week. You will wait seven days till I come to you. Then I will show you what to do. Do not forget 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 8. I will come to you. I'll show you what to do in seven days. And that's where we stop. <laughs> that's where we stop. So you see how we had to build this we, we had to build this with, with seeing what fear is, what it should have been from Jeremiah to Judges to Exodus, seeing where we were in 1 Samuel 8. Then we see all this. We see the demand of the people. Then we see the doubts beginning to build, right? Now we're seeing the beginning of destruction happening, right? All these things are building, and the picture is beginning to show itself a little bit. So I'm excited to see as we keep going together, as we go on this journey, understanding Jonathan, we we need to understand Saul a little bit more. So next week will be kind of our second prelude on Monday. We'll finish up Saul and we'll actually next week on Monday, which I'm really excited about that. Next week, we're actually going to be introduced to Jonathan. We'll see where he comes from and we'll see how he fits in here. But I love how before Jonathan even shows up, I love how we see the friendship of from God's perspective first. And then we see the friendship of what Jonathan is going to be to David. But I love how the text builds itself up, how the text starts with showing the friendship of God to Israel first. Now we see the friendship of Jonathan David. I, I literally can't wait. I, I cannot wait for next week. Thank you guys for being here. Love you guys. Subscribe here. Again, during this during this process, like you guys did for the Ruth and Boaz one, reach out. Let us know if you guys are seeing something from the text. Let me know if you guys are if you guys are have something for me to chew on. If there's something that you saw, hey man, I, I didn't see that. Let let's study this together. Let's not be afraid to study together. So reach out and let me know what you guys are seeing. So love you guys, appreciate you guys, and Lord willing, we will be back with part two, picking up from First Samuel chapter ten. Verse 9, we'll be picking up A Friend Like Jonathan, part 2, next week. Thanks, guys.